Hi, Kerry. How are you doing? Hi, Stuart. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Thank you for coming on and joining me tonight. I finally get to speak to someone from Britain for a while. It's been a very long time since I've been to someone, so the time zone's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's a good I've been, thing. I've been caught out by Google time zones so many times. They always get yeah, where that. are you then? In Scotland. Oh, right, okay. So, it's, not, it's not too much of a difference. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I stumbled across, well, it turns out I'd actually been following you on Instagram through my podcast um, already, but it was actually my wife had been looking on I think she must have been on one of her gossip pages and all that kind of things on somewhere and it was a CHD thing and it came across this girl who'd had quite an adventure I should say of quite a time (laughs) which wasn't just basic it's just not CHD because um, it's also like sepsis is that right yeah, that was, the, so that, was, that was most recently, isn't it? Sepsis got thrown in the mix last year, yeah, but I was born with congenital heart disease. So yeah, that's um, if basically if you can kind of just share your story, summarise it, just it yeah, from your when you were born and just we'll really yeah. see like what's happened in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I was born in 1982. And um, I was born with a congenital heart disease. So I had a narrowed aorta and a bicuspid aortic valve. Um, It wasn't discovered until I was five months old. I was, you know, I was sent home from hospital when I was born and everything looked very normal. And it wasn't until my mum had problems with me feeding and also my extremities were sort of blue and cold. And she kept going back to the doctor doctors and saying something's not right um and was sent away quite a few times fobbed off I guess with just them saying it was a flu or cold um and then it it just happened to be um sort of a visiting locum who picked up the signs of something wasn't quite right with my heart um and so from that point I was then Uh, sent to the local hospital but then transferred up to the Royal Brompton Hospital in London and they then told my mum my what was going on what my heart condition was and that I would need to have open heart surgery Um, and this was all within like the space of about two three days so my poor parents had to go through you know having their five-month-old baby operated on but it was all a success. So they widened my aortic valve um, and it's very well. And I lived a, a really normal childhood and um, I didn't really like sports, but um, I could get involved. I could run about. I never I never had any issues with getting breathlessness or chest pains, anything like that. And then I would go up to the Royal Brompton Hospital once a year for my checkups um you know x-ray echo ecg every single year and um it wasn't until i got to 28 years old uh when the yearly checkup noticed that um well it was the first time actually we were told that i had a bicuspid valve so we didn't know that bit of information when i was born okay, um, it was just the but, other was it the yeah, yeah so it's just the narrowing my mum was aware of so it was uh, quite a surprise at 28 years old to be told you've got a bicuspid valve um, and actually the whole valve at that point was failing um, and they said to me that I would need um, a valve replacement so an aortic valve replacement 
And I think from the time I had the checkup to actually getting the surgery was about five months. So 28 years old, working up in London, having a great time. You know, I'd done really well in my career. And all of a sudden I was being told, you need to have open heart surgery and we've got to replace this valve and you've got to recover from that. And it was just the biggest shock ever to go through that whole experience. It's, it, yeah, it was yeah. it was a lot. How, because like we were obviously five months older, was it when you got the first one? So yeah. there's no memory of that, isn't there? There's, there's no recollection yeah. whatsoever it's, of any of that just like the, probably the, the checkups and that that followed is mostly uh, like what you remember then yeah, yeah. that's similar to like with me I was really young so I don't really remember the stuff and then it was like yeah. 12 years ago I got my valve replacement and obviously you're right in there and because you're then in charge not to do with your parents anymore is it it's no. <laughs> you're, you're in full control of what goes on with everything it's quite it's quite daunting as well especially when like if it's, you say um, you've had your career it's mentally just it it just takes it out of you you know it's just you can't I could never really get my head around it properly and I couldn't really relate to the fact that you know something on the inside was technically failing and killing me because I never really felt that ill so it was really hard to put those two things together and like I had photos from when I was a baby my mum had kept photos so I could see those and kind of look back and go okay well that happened to me but when you're going through it and you're fully conscious of every decision making process and everything it's just yeah it's really really difficult and how so you were 28 years old when that happened how long were you in hospital for with that um, I was only in a week, so seven days, maybe not even seven. I think it might have just been like Monday to Friday, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and that was all routine and it then went very, very well. And I think waking up in ICU was the hardest part because no one had, I don't think you can really prepare for that experience anyway. No, it's a bit daunting, isn't it? And it's surreal. Yeah. It really is. Um, and it's the morphine, I think, that was always the problem for me because I never get the nice dreams I always get the really scary horrific monster-esque type dreams did you get the hallucinations and yeah yeah Yeah. I can't ever think that I've had that people I've heard people even well after their procedures having like still having um, hallucinations and things and I I don't remember probably because I was so drugged up that I don't remember but you know like yeah, I, I, so I many drugs. it's pretty crazy and I remember the ICU room and it's really strange because you're aware but not aware and yeah you just and you know the pain that you feel and you you will know this well you know you can't move your body you can't just sit up normally no. you can't use your arms because your rib cage has been pushed back and everything is a struggle you know and even trying to catch that next breath is a struggle so nothing nothing prepares you for it whatsoever it's a really really tough one and coming out of that did you end up having to be on medication and that from now on or was it once they no I was really lucky um I think I took some medication for a few months after I think in total I took about three months off work and then I had a stage return that's really good 
Is that good? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I think it's quite incredible because when they get told it's like six months sometimes that I've been told. For, yeah, it, it was. It comes down to obviously case by case, though, doesn't it? Like definitely. I I, I remember sort of having a stage return to work because again I was working in London and commuting, and it was even just to get the train to work, it was a slog. Uh, it was really really hard. And what do you do? What, what, what did you do then at that point, I should say? I was working in visual merchandising. Okay. So I would so design shop hard... windows and events and, yeah. Like physical. It was like, full on. Yeah. Taxing Definitely. as well. Yeah. And did you notice yeah. when, like, around that time, because you were saying, like, you didn't really feel anything, but when you look back at how you were after that, do you notice there was a big difference? When I look back, the only thing I can really remember was um, I kept getting panic attacks, but it would always be when I went down onto the tube. And I just thought, well, I just must be getting a bit panicky about the tube for some reason. And then, it, you know, on some occasions I would have full blown panic attacks. And now I look back, I'm thinking it must have been related to my heart in some way because I didn't have the chest pain, no breathlessness. So it, yeah, it felt really bizarre walking into a surgery when I looked and felt okay. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, stra- it's strange how people like with the CHDs can change. It's just, and that's why I speak say to a lot of people. It's like people can be born and they have their operation when they're like five months old or even younger, and it can just change in a sec, like an instant and then you're going yeah. you're back and on yourself and you're realizing you're not as well as you think you are it's yeah it's quite like it's it's annoying that it's such a horrible disease I think that... um I know I well I think I think the body is remarkable in the sense that it will just keep going and it will put up with all these little niggles that are probably going on I overlook quite a lot sort of looking back at symptoms and I'll just put it down to, oh, well, I must be tired or I must, maybe I didn't eat that well that day or, you know, there's got to be some other reason. It never goes back to the glaringly obvious one, yeah. which is my heart. I know, I'm, I'm quite bad for that. It's, it's just like, I'm fine. I'm like, I'll just, and uh, but I, I, I do now, I check up, like I go and speak to my doctor or phone down to my cardiologist's like, department and question it a bit more than I used to when I was when I had my valve replaced and I discharged myself I felt fine did you yeah I was like I'm fine wow. I was like, I'd like they're like we should they're like we well, should be on beta blockers your heart rate's like ridiculous for what it should be after having the surgery and I was like no I'm fine I don't feel unwell and yeah. stupid, stupidly I went home and I had to go back in and get emergency surgery but then oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned from that experience how many days were you in for initially I was in for a week it was about a week I was like same as you and yeah. I, I was just wanting to get home it was more I was done with the whole sitting in the room and, yeah and then yeah. I, I was like I just want I feel fine and then I was like oh no you're not fine <laughs> that was a brave move discharging yourself after I know it's a, it's a when I talk about it now my cardiologist learned uh, she was pretty angry <laughs> and done that, but they've let Especially, me go. They've let me so you go, have to so. come back in for emergency surgery yeah, there was, that. I don't know what had happened. I don't know if they, when they fixed the valve, there was leaking and I was sitting with two layers of blood on top of my heart. 
Right. And yeah. like, and when I went forward, the pain went away. But when I sat up, I would cough uncontrollably. And when I went oh in goodness. and they like did the like uh, ultrasound check, they were kind of like with the idea of like, how are you even standing? Kind of view like you shouldn't be. Oh, able, that's scary. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have walked in here. And I was like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Then oh. went and put got the all the blood drained out and they fixed whatever happened. And I've been fine yeah. since. You know, that's twelve years. So with you and now you're 28 and you went back and got that surgery yep and you had from then no issue like so after that um so I had a, a pig's tissue valve and I was having yearly checkups um and and the, oh, I never got kind of a an all clear and like everything looking really good it was always like mm, there's some regurgitation there's some leaking we need to keep an eye on this so like I knew that something was coming so I think um by the fourth year of having it they said we need to replace it again it's not they've sort of said it didn't take okay. the valve hadn't taken and the root had now become I'm not entirely sure. My medical terminology is not great. That's fine. But, <laughs> Same um, as me. <laughs> the root had become thickened around the aortic valve. Okay. So, so then I was being asked to come back in and have the whole thing done again, which oh, wow. was just awful. So how long um, were you, was it meant to last? Like, I don't, I'm not. Well, like... um, I got told 10 years, but they said with tissue valves, they can deteriorate. Uh, you know, it just depends on on the person they're in and what that person's doing, I guess. Um, but there was something about that pig's tissue valve that just did not like me. Um, and I just felt, I feel like every time something goes on with my aorta, the rest of my heart says, no, we're not happy about this. We don't like it. So, um, so then I got a cow's tissue valve. So at the age of 34... I was having open heart surgery again and having the same valve replaced and this time with a cow's tissue valve. So, um, yeah, again, I had to go through that whole upheaval of my life. So how did, how did you feel? Like, because obviously you got the one at 28. Yeah. And you're obviously thinking, oh, it's 10 years, maybe more. And that, like, I'm going to say that, like, what, what does that what did that do to you did it like how did you approach it did you approach it with confidence or kind of more like um it's yeah confidence like bravado like I've got this it's you know I just have to have a quick change and get on with the rest of my life and was um, it as smooth sailing as the first time I think I was in and out quicker and I also mentally it was better because I'd already been so I knew every stage and it was kind of like a game and I, I kept thinking right once I've woken up you get to this part you get to, you do the physio you walk around with your with your bottles of bodily fluid up and down the corridor and, and then you get to the sanctuary of the ward and then you know that you're going home so I kind of I knew all of that but still my god mentally it's it's so hard um, just to get that motivation to pick yourself up and carry on every single time and every yeah. single minute of the day that you're recovering. 
I know it's 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 quite hard because you like you go through recovery and every day isn't up, is it? You know you're no, and it's it's always trying to keep that going. And did you have a lot of support from family and friends yeah. and things that helped? Yeah, my um my mum, she has just been incredible, and I mean I've got very very close family and so many friends that just they know what's going on with me they understand it they support me they you know they're there for me they do anything for me so I'm very very lucky um but my mum bless her that when I was 28 and when I was 34 I went to recuperate at her house and um she yeah she nursed me back to health basically (laughs) fed me and made sure I was doing my physio and was company for me so yeah great and it's it's weird because I you know any other person at that age in life probably wouldn't be living with their mum for three months no so I feel blessed in a way that actually I've had that time that I've spent with her I I think what I try and do is just put a positive spin on every time something negative happens with my heart I'm like there's positives to all of this definitely that's the way to be isn't it yeah, absolutely. So, after because after that, that was just your, that's your three open heart surgeries in your life, isn't it? Yeah. So it, yeah, well, I've had five seven. For... I've had it's... seven in total. <laughs> so in May last year, when I got sepsis, that's when I had four open heart surgeries. In within a year. Within twenty days. So. Um, Is this the from having getting sepsis yeah oh yeah yeah so, so like, yeah I'm gonna I'm, I'm interested not interested it's quite the right word because sepsis is like like all I know about it is it's horrific and yeah. so so yeah it's um it can kill you it, that's all I know about that's, that's all I've known that if you get it you're yeah either lucky or you're unlucky if you want to be feel like absolutely that. or you lo- lose limbs which is what the only kind of knowledge that I had of sepsis but it was ironic because I'd I'd been shielding for the pandemic staying at home and really worried about anything outside my door and getting covid and um and then I got sepsis at home and it was caused from a skin bug. So it was called uh, Staphylococcus, okay. which essentially is a bug that we have on our skin. And this bug got into my bloodstream. And what it does when it gets in is just goes to the weakest part of your body. And that for me was my aortic valve. Jesus. So it went, it Terrifying. just, I know yeah. it is. And they showed me the scan and they, they pointed out this bug and they said, that's it there. And that's it sat on your valve. And you could, I don't know, you could make out these shapes and think, my God, so you could that's actually inside see. me. Yeah. So what, what scan did they give for that then? Was that just a... That was an echo. An echo showed that, wow. Yeah. Like, and did you feel unwell then, I guess? That... Yeah, so I was... Um, it first presented itself when I was in a meeting and I started to slur my words and I thought this is really weird I can't get my words out and then my temperature was going up 
and I just thought I've got to get home so stupidly I drove the 20 minute drive home from the office um to my house and when I got home I just I thought I'm I'm really hot but I really want to sit in front of a fan heater which is odd and I did that and I had blankets on me and I was boiling and I rang my husband and I just said something is is not right and I had this feeling like I'm going to die and I didn't want to be dramatic and say that but I just said it it's bad something's not good something's not right um so he came home and then I'd actually passed out in bed by that point and I was with it but the sepsis makes you really confused Uh so I I was with it but not and eventually um he called paramedics to come out and um by this point I kind of was breathless and yeah boiling hot but then being really cold like groaning and pain as well it was really bizarre and the paramedics they just said this is covid you've got covid and they wanted me to go in that day uh what was that evening and I because I was so confused I said no and in my head I was thinking whenever I say I've got CHD people react like they go over the top and they're always like yeah let's check you Mm -hmm. over you end up with loads of student doctors and nurses around you going oh can I you know feel your heartbeat and I just didn't have the time for it it was late at night and I said no I don't want to come in and they're like okay well if you get a covid test tomorrow I was like yeah that's fine and so I took my whole family to do the test and we're all negative and still I just was getting worse and worse and so I think I was at home for a day and then the next morning I just said to my husband just get me to the hospital and I knew I was dying it was just a bizarre feeling that's awful so it's interesting you say about the covid thing because like around obviously the pandemic regardless of how you felt they pushed it onto that all the time yeah and that felt like the number one focus they they didn't even say sepsis and the ironic thing is that there's a sepsis poster on most ambulances yeah and it wasn't even spotted because with that like with like covid like what you're saying with the confusion and all that like that wasn't even mentioned in symptoms so you would think they would have went down that not even down the road of sepsis but pretty much ruled out covid straight away and took in so like that was the day after you went in the hospital did you say yeah so do you i i don't because it's hard to ask this question but do you feel it much would have changed if you'd got in the day before if they'd um time time is really important with sepsis because you don't have much of it because that person is already dying once they've got it because you said so, you had another night you know you i had another like, day like yeah. um and i d- i think the damage to my heart probably would have been less if i'd got there quicker right because i have had so many things done to my heart because the heart surgeon said he'd never seen such an infected heart so maybe, maybe if it, I was in a day earlier, then things would have been different. But not, I don't think much different. No. Because my organs had already started to shut down. My bowel has started going, my kidney. 
my kidneys so yeah it was it was really I was on the verge that's like I can like you're the way like you're saying about feeling like that I can't even imagine like the fear and like you d- how you, you, how you were feeling fear. no but you just it was fear like a goes trance. away everything goes away wow because you, you're so ill that you just I think your body's just focusing on the main organs so like mentally you're not really there it's a really bizarre one I kind of am glad that I wasn't there because I would have gone into panic mode and does does your husband talk about it of like yeah he, he does so and like have you yeah we it? talk we talk quite openly about it um and it was really hard for him and he kicks himself that you know that night the paramedics were here that I didn't go into hospital you know it was me being quite stubborn really that stopped Uh, that happening and he said I should have insisted that you'd gone but yeah we talk about every stage the run-up to it you know the actually you know because I was in a coma for 20 days and then coming out of that coma and you know talking to him about the morphine dreams that I had in that coma which I must say were worse than the planned open heart surgeries tenfold really just just horrendous and as a result of that I now suffer with PTSD which it just uh it doesn't leave me alone it's constant and I've just I relive every every part of what happened but I feel like it's like chapters so you know sometimes a whole day I will live in every kind of chapter of what happened in the run-up to and afterwards other times I could just relive over and over again like one chapter so like the waking up from the coma again and again and again but it just it doesn't seem to get any easier no but you said you went into a coma so you went in like the morning after you'd done the COVID test and you were aware of going in while you were in were you aware of going into the hospital then yeah I was aware of going into my local hospital um and I was there for it must have been three days before I was transferred to the Royal Brompton while they came up with a plan of what they were going to do with me but it was, you know, usually I always feel like whenever I go to the hospital, I'm quite on it and I know what's going on and I know what's being said. But I was so poorly that I just it was really confusing. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and my local hospital, you're in a in a room on your own. Um, so it was really I just yeah, I couldn't understand. And actually a lady, I think a nurse came in at some point and, and mentioned, oh, I think you need heart surgery. And uh, I lost it. I really lost the plot because I just thought, why me? This is, I couldn't believe it was happening again. So now aged, what was I, to 38. So only four years after having a bowel replacement, I was now facing another open heart surgery. Um, And so in my head, when I was told that, I thought, okay, well, they're probably just looking at going to replace the valve and I was told I'd need a mechanical one next time because I it wouldn't be allowed any more tissue valves. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I can deal with that. I didn't understand that actually they were going in, 
they were opening me up and they didn't know what they were going to see when they got in there. It was that bad and it was such an emergency. So they were essentially Um, going in to see how much damage had been done by the the, the bug or whatever. Yeah. So once once I was transferred up to the Brompton by ambulance, they did they ran their own tests at the Brompton so um and I couldn't tell you what that was because again I was so confused but you've probably had it but it's like the the scanner where you feel like you're in a small cave oh the MRI yes quite claustrophobic (laughs) they kept on putting me in one of those and um I just remember I kept saying can you tell me what is it what's going on what is it and nothing no one said anything um and it wasn't till I had all the tests and I was back in a private room um and became because of covid the hospital had uh, separated everyone so I was in my own room waiting for news and they just said can you get your husband up here so he he has to come from so I live in Crowborough which is East Sussex and then to get into London it probably takes about two and a half hours by car so he made his way in he finally got there and the surgeon came in um with another doctor as well you've got this bug that's sitting on the valve um and he didn't really say too much but that conversation I knew that I was dying I knew that there wasn't really a chance I was coming back you know he said to me it's going to be like you're in a boxing match and I will I'll be I'll be beating seven rounds of yeah out of you (laughs) um and I was like wow okay but still in my head I was like it's fine I've got this I can do this I've got a five-year-old son I'm coming back for him like there is no other option yeah and and he was right it was a boxing match you know I felt like I had been severely beaten up by the time I came round in ICU um, but it was a 19-hour operation, which just amazes me yeah, that I... he was there for that long when it was completely unplanned for him. You know, his week probably looked quite quiet until <laughs> I... So I, I had a day off today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I can't actually tell you exactly what I've had done. So I know that I've had... Um, I now have a human aortic valve, okay. uh, which is incredible that that's, you know, been donated to me. Yeah. Um, and then that was available to me. I know, because that's like, you was transplant, basically a transplant in a way, isn't that? And yeah. With that, that's just timing with people just, that being available. That's amazing. I know. It is incredible. I, I kind of think that it was human and then part tissue that had been grown in the lab. But again, I could be wrong. I right. just picked up on little bits of information, but never asked a direct question because I don't think I want to know. No. I know I've had a couple of stents done. I've now got a pacemaker. Oh, okay. And there was something with the mitral valve as well, but I can't remember what. <laughs> so there was and that all like was that what was it just the white well, you said you had four procedures. So they're in. saying it was apparently four when my, I think my husband told me. So when I was brought out of the 19 hour operation, they kept my chest open. And because I think they hadn't fully rectified what was going on and there was still 
infection. So it sounds like they just kept taking me down for theatre and then they would close me up and then they would open me up again for something else. So it just went on and on and on. And I remember what Tom just said to me, he goes, you know, when he came back to me after the final time, he said, I've managed to close her up, which is a good thing because I think there was probably a doubt that they'd never get my sternum back together. Yeah. Which is, look, just horrible. No, I know that's like, I'm sitting here just in like shock of that. I, I just can't, I'm, I'm at like, I've, I've, you hear stories, but like to have all that in that short space of time. It, I know. And it's then just like incredible. speaking to you now and, like that's amazing and with you're obviously unaware of all the surgeries because you were was that done when you were in the coma then all that yeah and yeah so it's 20 days and but when I came round after 20 days so you talked about the blood on your heart uh-huh. so when I came round, I was very aware that they kept saying we need to take you back into theatre again and I was trying to piece together what was going on. And they said that there was a collection of blood around my heart. Right. And that they needed to, well, get it out, I guess. And I kept thinking, no, like, no, I can't go in again. Like, I feel like I've been run over by a train here. I just, you know, and I was saying, please don't take me in. And actually, and again, I could have this wrong because of the drugs, but it was up to about 30 different people at the Brompton um, to decide whether I was to go back in for this surgery or not. And my heart surgeon was for it and my consultant was against it. And I remember saying, can you not just give me time to just, to just heal and see if it like just disperses. Uh I mean, they wouldn't have listened to me anyway, but (laughs) um, I felt like that's what they should be doing. And it actually panned out that way that it did disperse oh, over wow. the next few days and I, they didn't have to open me up again. So I was very, very glad of that. Yeah. And for that, I'm just focusing on this 20 days because I'm just mind-blown by, like, having all that. So I know. did they just put you to sleep for the first one? I and was just essentially you just of it for 20 days. So, Because like, I, I find all this fascinating because... I just can't imagine that time passing and you know what no. I mean if that makes any sense you've always you've experienced it so you know exactly what I mean but yeah um, it's it's such a bizarre thing and because then when you woke up did it feel like it had just been like maybe hours or something yeah that's in, yeah like that's like my husband said I can't remember the exact date I'd gone in in May and it was early May and I'm sure he said to me like it's June June the 1st or something and I just said well how can it be a different month yeah it can't be and it took a long time to believe that that was the case and how did you feel coming out of when you woke up obviously probably in a lot of pain I was in so much pain um I I couldn't I could only really move my eyes to communicate and I couldn't speak because I had the uh, breathing tube Oh yeah. Um in yeah, I just it was I had lots of these weird dreams and I still don't know whether that was while I was in a coma or whether it was the waking moments of coming out of that coma. 
and it all happened within a really short space of time but I, I you know I lived I lived years years and years and years within those dreams um it was when the physio came along and they're like right we're gonna get you sitting up and I was like no I cannot do this I can't do this at all and at that point I realized that um both of my feet they didn't move they were paralyzed and I thought you know what has gone on here uh, this, this is you know something else is now was the next thing here. so I really did feel like I had been hit by a train because when I looked down at my legs there was um so it looked like a tourniquet had been tied around my just under my knee my left knee um and actually I forgot to say that earlier on but they they'd taken a vein from my leg to put into my heart oh wow which was one of the procedures which again is incredible yeah and then further down on my shin, there was also this laceration, which, you know, had bandages on it. And then my feet were huge, like so swollen. I mean, my whole body was swollen. And yeah, so when I stopped and then the physio started to move me, we realized that uh, my left foot was doing nothing. You know, I couldn't actually bring it up at all. Whereas my right foot, I could, I could wiggle my toes and I could move it. And it turns out now and to this day, I've been left disabled and I can't exactly, I don't know exactly why. It's okay. either because, I mean, I had a theory that the tourniquet was tied too tightly around my leg for too long. But more recently, a professor um, at the Brompton said that because you're on so many muscle and nerve relaxing drugs during that time in a coma, your feet fall forward. And if okay. you haven't got physio coming to pick them up, which I remember they kept putting my feet in these, they were like space boots, Velcro space boots that held your foot in a right angle. And they would put them on and take them off and put them on. Um, and if that wasn't done at the opportune moment, then that can cause permanent foot drop, which unfortunately now is what I've been left with on my left leg. So are you able to walk? Then not without a brace wow that's mental like i that's yeah like, yeah it's that's it's really really hard for yeah. me to get my head around because it's almost like because i look normal now and i can i behave quite normally uh -huh. but my foot is the one thing that now is there's no hiding it yeah. basically but you know people will ask what happened to your leg um because I have to wear a brace as well um, and it's taken me a long time to walk on the brace and get the confidence back in my body to put weight on it so it's a huge challenge it's That's like how, it's life-changing how did like do you like how did you get through all this because like this just seems un unfair is what I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say that like that it is unfair like it is unfair I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest I'm almost crying here hearing um, all this because like that is just it's insane. so I think it's such a rare thing to happen and I think um you know you probably were told about endocarditis yeah throughout your life and ultimately an infection of the heart is endocarditis so I knew that it was always a risk, but 
you never think it's going to happen to you uh-huh. ever. But I, I think the way that I just get through it is, I mean, my son is the biggest factor. I've got a five-year-old son who needs his mummy. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to try and be a mummy for as long as I can. So that keeps me going. But then the one thing that I remember as well is that night before the major surgery was ultimately I was saying goodbye. You know, that was, that was it. I was told spend time with your families, say your goodbyes. Uh So any day that I get now is a bonus because I was nearly gone a year ago yeah so I only want to move forward and there is no point in sitting and dwelling because that's time wasted and lost when you know I don't know how long my life will be and and no one does and that's the thing I also have to get my head around is um none of us know when the end is coming but I think when you have CHD you have and you kind of know that there's probably more operations to come more interventions maybe a decline you know that it's somewhere there so until that day comes for me I just have to go out there and live every day as if it were my last which sounds so cheesy but it's, it's the truth isn't yeah, it yeah that's just what you have to do yeah and sorry I'm just control like getting myself um does it make that, you upset yeah that like that just gets to me that because like I'm sorry that it no no it's fine you. it's just like obviously like I read about what you'd gone through and that before speaking to you but hearing it from you and like the more details of it like that's like it's, it's it's literally unbelievable isn't it yeah and like it, it shocks you because it makes you think about like you're saying it's just like a, an infection you know like and you were at home you were avoiding what we were shielding for you know and yeah like and then you say you got it's like I've got a four-year-old son so it's like I'm kind of the same and you want to try and do your yeah. best for them and that but yeah um sorry I'll I'll try to I'll go back into positive <laughs> kind of mind there it's just yeah but I I get it and I totally understand everything and now like I saw you just celebrated your 40th yeah yeah last month I'm just just glad that I got there to be honest (laughs) make my 40th like is it the the gold heart club so gold-hearted club gold-hearted club that's that's Um, your brand yeah that's so it's just some is it was an Instagram account that I started up probably uh like a couple of years before I got ill last year um and it was just it was just for me to talk about what was going on and to find a community, find people like you who also live with CHD and have to go through operations. And I guess just for me to feel less alone with this. Um, and it has been that, you know, it's been brilliant to talk to other people and just talk about the various stages of heart disease and things that come up in life and sharing sharing thoughts you know I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about uh, my heart disease Um, and I found that a lot kind of when you know even just talking to friends colleagues people don't know what to say it no they think they're going to upset you or say the wrong thing so quite often they say nothing at all 
and I always felt the wall just went up so that's probably why I think I hid my heart disease for as long as I possibly could because I didn't want anyone to think that maybe I couldn't do my job properly um or I was incapable of doing various tasks so um I've totally lost my thread <laughs> this is part of recovering from sepsis as well so I get major brain fog um, oh, yeah. which is still plaguing me <laughs> that's okay gold hearted <laughs> club that was it that happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> um so then I, I started selling these little enamel pins so I designed a little heart logo with the word brave on it and then had these pins and the idea is that you can wear your pin and it can just give permission to talk about what's going on. So, you know, it encourages a conversation. If someone says, oh, I like that pin, you know, what's, what does that mean? What's it about? And so whether you're that person wearing it who has CHD or you have friends or family affected by it and you are showing your support, there's a platform there and the start of a narrative. And that's what I love is that it opens the conversation and gives people the opportunity to talk about something that is hard, but it is also beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And it's just part of living. It's part of life. And I mean, it's not just CHD. We all go, anyone goes through different health concerns or there's ups, ups and downs for everyone throughout life. And I just think, talk about things. So that's what the Gold Hearted Club is all about, really. That's, yeah, that's great. That's, that's exactly the reason why I started doing this because, like, I was shielding, so I just had nothing to do. And it was basically just to speak to people. And I only did it with friends. And then obviously, I've met so many new people. And, like, it's great because I, I knew there was obviously the CHD community was out there, but I didn't realize how big it was and how, like, everyone's open and speaking about everything and sharing stories and that's all what's yeah. about it. like learning and that it's been amazing the last I think um, doing this. social media has been incredible for helping communities like ours Definitely. just to, it gives us a platform for telling people it's educating people about what CHD is but it's also talking about how that affects us day to day and I just I think it's brilliant that, you know, we're all talking more about it and raising awareness of it as well. It's incredible. Totally. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm glad to see you're doing so well after the past, well, 40 years has been up and Thank down. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and the last obviously, yeah. year was the worst one. But yeah, it's great. Thank you for taking your time out. Tonight. yeah no and thank you so much Stuart. Yeah, it's I, been a pleasure i don't know if you've got anything if you want to say anything or that before we go or i mean i would just say to anyone who's experiencing congenital heart disease is just make sure you talk to people however however you're feeling just make sure you talk to people and get help get the support that you need because having that support is vital in terms of recovering from any surgeries that you might be going through or just dealing with it on the day-to-day -day. so yeah definitely great thank you very much no thank you Stuart see you later on all right take care thank you